I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> Welcome to a special Cheeky Scientist radio show. This is a radio show I've wanted to do for a very long time. I'm going to tell my story of being a PhD student and how I transitioned. And if you are a PhD student, this is going to be extremely relevant. One of the questions that we get asked the most at Cheeky Scientist is, how soon should I start my job search? If I'm a PhD student, what should I be doing? If I'm a first year, a second year, a third year, fourth, fifth, or even beyond a fifth, which I hope that's not you, what can I do? How can I avoid the most common fate of ending up unemployed after I defend? Yay, I defended. Now I'm unemployed and even more broke. Or I'm working for free. Or I'm working for free on the side while I'm trying to do a job search because I got guilted into it from my PI. Or things got weird with my PI after I told them that I wanted to graduate. How do, how do you handle this? What do you do? What are the activities you should be doing? How do you make an employer wait for you? What if they say they want to hire you because you started your job search and you don't have a defense date? Sure, there's going to be some stress there, but that's good stress. And if you know what you have in your hand, the leverage that you have over the university, and believe me, you do have some, you'll, you'll feel better about the entire situation. The reason that this is so challenging is because there's so much uncertainty. The path is not laid out before us. Universities, the academic department that you're in, is very vague on this on purpose. But the one thing they're not vague on, and you can read any graduate student handbook, is that the mentors, the advisors advising you and mentoring you cannot impede your career progress. And I'm going to come back to that. I do want to mention one thing quickly. If you're listening to this show, uh, before Tuesday, the 22nd, June 22nd, get ready because we have a very big event where every advanced program and the Cheeky Scientist Association will be marked down 75%. It's called our Mid-Year Mega Markdown, our second annual Mid-Year Mega Markdown. The reason we're doing it is because over the years, we've collected so much data where we found that the PhD hiring curve throughout the year uh, is inverse to the non-PhD hiring curve in that most PhDs are hired in the middle of the year, so between the academic semesters and at the very end of the year in December. This is when employers prefer to spend on high-priced talent for high-level technical positions. Understanding that data is important, just like I always have so many PhDs on the webinars that I do uh, when I'm covering resumes, they gasp when I show them the data that most callbacks occur on a Monday, you can increase your hireability by 40 to 50% by putting your resume in or having it into the employer on a Monday because they're human beings, right? They come in the most motivated on Monday. They read through all the resumes. They mark which ones they want to call back. And if your resume is in on a Monday, your odds of getting a callback, again, jump to 40 to 50%. So I want you to understand all of this because this event is going to be giant once again. It was one of the biggest events we had ever last year, which is why we're doing it again. Go to CheekyScientist.com now 
at the top banner, you can get on the wait list. It's a, it's really a VIP list. I'm giving VIP bonuses away. I've given away five already and you can still get them. If you go there now, get on the VIP list for Tuesday. It's a one day event only Tuesday, June 20th. Now back to getting hired as a PhD student. Timing seems to be the biggest stressor, right? Or, or the biggest reason to not do anything in your job search. Oh, I'm just a first or second year graduate student. So did you know it can take up to 18 months and it's, it's between 12 and 18 on average to get hired, to execute a proper job search? This is not something that you can do quickly after defending your thesis. They don't just hand out PhD level jobs. The average salary for a PhD level job is $91,112. They do not just hand that out. You have to go through a process. You have to follow industry social norms. You have to learn what those social norms are in the first place. You have to get around people that are getting hired into industry, that are hired into industry. I talked to so many PhD students that are in their last year. They're about to defend. Their industry network is zero. Do not let that be you. Timing as well uh, is a concern because of the employer aspect, right? How do I get an employer to wait around for me? What if they have to wait around me for a few weeks, let alone a few months? Well, this is what happened to me. And it was not an easy process to go through. Uh, I navigated it, like most PhD students, very blindly. It led to uh, a lot of conflict between me and my PI, my supervisor. And you know, I, I see a lot of PhDs turn away from this conflict and instead work for free for months and months, end up unemployed or stay stuck in academia for a year or more longer than they should, all because they're afraid of this conflict. They allow themselves to be isolated. They don't stand up for their own career, right? They do everything they can to push their PI's career forward, but not their own. When you're, if you've decided to work in industry, your PI has no sway over that. They don't look at PI or academic letters of recommendation. You'll make a clean break from academia, an extremely clean break. Your publications, they'll be something that you put a lot of effort into. They helped advance you know, science or STEM or whatever your background is and humanity, but that part of your life will be over. And now you'll be looking forward to doing something that translates into a, a product or a service or a drug or a treatment that helps people. So for my, my story, I tried to convince myself to be a professor. I, I kept committing over and over again. And every time something got more difficult or I saw the, the negative data about how rare being a tenured professor was, I just decided to double down. No, Isaiah, you just have to work harder. Right? You have to commit more. You have to spend more than 18 hours a day at the lab. You have to come in longer on the weekends. And I think this is what a lot of us do. A lot of us as PhDs, we're, we're very driven. We, we, we want to chase that professorship and it's held out in front of us like a carrot. No matter how many adjuncts we see or how many adjuncts or part-time professors that are unhappy we see or how many get, got cut, especially this past year, no matter how many postdocs we see who are certainly not happy, no matter how much we see our PIs beg for funding, we, we hide we, from the truth. We evade reality. We think things can be different, that they'll turn around, right? And then eventually this, uh, you know, this bright-eyed enthusiasm of being a new graduate student wears off, and we realize that there's no future for us in academia. You know, for me, I started to realize this. It took a long time, 
because, you know, in the early days, you're learning so much the first, you know, the first two years in particular, and then you have your comprehensive exams. And then after that, like a year or so after that, so I'd say, you know, about in my beginning of my fourth year, I realized that there has to be something else outside of academia. Uh, the, the aura of, uh, you know, being a, a PhD and what that would lead to melted away. There was no professorship. There was no easy road after getting a PhD. There was nothing except for a postdoc, a low-paying postdoc that barely paid more than my graduate student stipend. And I, I think this is a reality that you have to face. I turned away from it. I said, well, I'll just do a postdoc, you know, it'll be a year or so. We, we start talking ourselves into this comfortable path that everybody around us is taking. And this is why I talk so much about the data of being a postdoc, because if you are a PhD student, that should never be an option for you. That is cheap labor. Universities fight against governments to prevent overtime pay for postdocs. It is cheap labor. It is abusive. You should never do a postdoc. There's no, it damages your career. Data has come out from nature. Look at uh, an article in Nature Bi Biotechnology that I reference a lot, showing that in industry, academia, nonprofit, and government, those who do a postdoc always fare worse than those who do not do a postdoc. It does not benefit your career. And the average postdoc pay just in, in the US and Canada is right between two jobs garbage collector and bus driver. That's right. It graduated above garbage collector just a little bit to bus driver. Not quite above bus driver. It's about $43,000 a year since the pandemic. Bus drivers make about $46,000 a year. So you have a job that's right between garbage collector and bus driver if you're a postdoc. And many PhDs end up chasing postdocs. And you think, oh, well, that's because it's going to go to something better. Guess what? Everybody who's a garbage collector or a bus driver is also thinking the same thing. One day, things will be better. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a garbage collector or a bus driver or a postdoc, but you better own the fact that you're choosing. You are choosing that fate, that salary range, that pay, and that career. And nothing better is coming along. There's no magic professorship anymore that's going to come along and uh, grant you tenure, right? The tenure fairy doesn't exist anymore. It's over. Tenure is dead. They forced out as many tenure positions as they could during the pandemic. They're long-term obligations that can't be paid for anymore. So I saw this writing on the wall. I decided to want to, I wanted to get a job in industry. I told my PI, and unfortunately, he withdrew his support. As soon as I said, hey, my plan is to leave academia for industry, he withdrew his support. And I can understand it in part because if you're training somebody in academia, if you come from you know, uh, the 1970s when tenure was at the, the level of 70%, it's all you ever, it's all you know. How do you support something you don't know? So it became a very challenging time. He wouldn't even review my presentations. Uh, he talked frequently about how anyone who received training as a PhD student but did not stay in academia was considered a failure by academic standards. And, it's, and they were a failure because they couldn't cut it. So they were going to go do something easier or different. 
And I, I mentioned these feelings because I think that's, if you, if you felt that, you know, if you've heard industry called the dark side or, you know, selling out to academia, or like you're not going to stay closer to science, let all of that go. This is not the 1970s anymore. The best science, the best STEM, the best research is done in industry now. Academia is so broken. It's sad how little useful data is done in academia because there's no reproducibility. Just look up the reproducibility crisis. 60 to 90% of experiments can't be repeated in a different lab. Published data, that's published data, cannot be repeated in a lab that's different than the one that published it. Industry doesn't have this problem because of standardization. They have giant rooms full of robotics that are doing their experiments. The instruments, the funding, it's all in industry now. PhDs who stay in academia, I would argue, I, I, I could say you, you could go as far as saying they are choosing career failure. They're looking ahead. They know that the best research is done in industry and they are choosing temporarily or long-term to do worse research, to squander. So these are the conclusions that I came to and I speak very directly about them because academia doesn't speak about them and, and you should know the truth. And so I decided to, to transition out. And so I tried to make a plan. This was the most frustrating part for me is that my PI would not make a plan. They're, they wouldn't set any milestones. There's no project management at all in academia. There is an industry, right? You work with teams. It's highly structured. There's a project scope, right? Project charters, statements of work. There's, uh, you know, there's an initiation phase. You set milestones. Uh, you balance the, the scope of the project with the quality, you know, budgets, timelines. This doesn't happen in academia at all, certainly not for a graduate student's career. So I pushed to meet with my department and my department head. I sat in a room with my department head and my PI at this time trying to figure out milestones. Like, what is the milestone? That What's something that I could have control over? Because all of you know this, your PI has control over whether or not they submit a paper. And many times they'll just not submit a paper because they need to get more data out of you or more data out of somebody else in the lab or the entire lab or uh, the entire department, whatever it is. It's not any easier for you, that, for those of you that don't work in a lab, right? You could be TAing. And I mean, the path for non-STEM PhDs is even longer. The average is like six to 10 years. It's awful. So I'm sitting in a room with these, you know, two, you know, grown individuals, 20 plus years older than me. And they're trying to tell me, you know, they, they're trying to use uh, the authorship order against me. I had a shared first author paper and they said, well, it's actually a shared first author. So we can't use this to graduate. That's, you know, that's not in the graduate student handbook. You don't have to have a paper to graduate. You don't have to have a first author paper to graduate. Uh, maybe there's an institution out there where you do, but mine did not. So they do a lot of hand waving and then they're like, well, look at this here. Let's, let's look at all the figures in the paper. They seriously did this. They opened up the figures of the paper and they said, okay, well, what percentage of data did you, you know, of yours was for this figure? And they figured it out and said, okay, percentage wise, it looks like maybe 40% of the data in the paper was yours. So, you know, that's not enough. So they're just, you know, they're changing the conversation, hand waving, didn't make any sense. And this happens a lot at different universities. That's why they don't make specific milestones. 
I really, you know, there's, there's problems with the UK structure for sure, but I, I do value the part of the UK structure where the, the PhD students have to be out in, in about three years. And, and that's firm. And they put a lot of pressure on the PIs and the advisors to make this happen. But uh, for me, that wasn't the case. So all of this happened. And, and then a, another entire year went by after I was trying to get out. And I said, I'm just, you know, the whole time you're thinking, this is your, this is your life. It's your career. And you, you want to go on to the next thing. And you can only live on a stipend that's, you know, at the time, $1,400 a month. You know, you're not putting away retirement. You're seeing your, your friends, their, their careers are taking off, the people you graduated with in undergrad, and, and you become increasing, increasingly isolated. So I was finally able to fight my way to having a uh, thesis committee meeting, had my thesis committee meeting. Unfortunately for my thesis committee, and a lot of universities have done away with this and a lot of departments, my PI was the chair of the committee, right? So there's a conflict of interest there because... Usually your PI wants you to stay and produce more data, uh, do more work. So I remember presenting, did a great presentation. When I, when I actually did end up graduating, uh, one of the committee members said that my thesis was one of the best that he ever saw at that university. And I only say that because you know, there was some sort of measure there that this was not a totally uh, total crap presentation. Gave a great presentation, lots of great questions, uh, the committee was happy. You know, I left, I came back, they talked and I asked directly, when do you, when would I be able to graduate? Do I have the green light to start uh, preparing my thesis? Can we set a date? And they all just sat there silently. I remember being completely blown away because I had worked really hard to repair the relationship with my PI as much as possible. Uh, you know, after he withdrew his support and I, you know, I said, and I shouldn't have said what my career plans were. Um, you have to be careful doing that if you're a PhD student, but I worked really hard over the year to repair the relationship. And I thought, okay, I, you know, I collected data for another year, gave this, uh, gave this presentation to the thesis committee. It was on point and he sat there silently too. And then he came out afterwards and played stupid, tried to act like he was my best friend. Hey, you know, you presented well, nobody, you know, they just not there. Nobody was quite sure on whether or not you know, you were ready to, to graduate. They thought there was probably still some more work to be done. You know, all of the, again, this hand-waving, vague, uh, you know, double speak. I mean, it was just nonsense. And I look back at it now and I think, man, it's just, you know what it is? What's the popular term today? Gaslighting. That's all that it is. All of these people trying to make you think that you're crazy because you want to advance your career. Look, if you're a PhD student, you are not crazy for wanting to advance your career. You are not crazy for wanting to know the next step in your career, nor are you crazy for wanting some sort of milestone, some actual goal or target that you can hit. Okay. The academic system is crazy. Your PI, uh, you know, their, their academic mindset is what's messed up. They know what they're doing. They're making it vague and not giving you a target on purpose so they don't have to commit so they can keep making you chase whatever carrot it is, a publication. I mean, think of what we do. Think of how hard you've worked for what? The promise of uh, uh, authorship on a paper? Are you serious? That's what blows me away when I think about it. And when you're out of academia, you'll think about it too. It's like, how hard did we work to, for the order of the name so that our name could be you know, second on a paper instead of third? That's 
how small the stakes are in academia, but they feel so massive. So if you're going through any of this, I want you to know you're not alone. The system is broken. Uh, you know, you're not be, you're not being given target for uh, target for a reason. So what do you have to do? You have to make your own targets. You have to you have to be willing to face the conflict ahead of you. I remember, you know, years before I faced this conflict myself, I saw a lot of other PhD students and their advisors, right, have this conflict, and I said, oh man, I really want to avoid that. Just accept that you can't avoid it. Some of you might have a great mentor. They're very industry-minded. Maybe they're younger. They're more educated uh, on jobs outside of academia. That is great. I love that for you. But if not, and if you see the writing on the wall that you will have some sort of conflict, face it. Don't hide from it because you'll allow yourself to be isolated. Years of your life will pass by. Seriously. You'll stay for extra years. You might end up working for free. You could end up unemployed. Learned helplessness will come for you. Don't let guilt be used against you either. Oh, hey, can you still do this for the paper? Get a job and leave. Guess what? Your PI, your advisors, they can work for themselves. They can take care of their own careers. Drop everything. Seriously, get your job, graduate, drop everything. Do not stay behind and help your PI advisor for free. Don't ever do that. And if you think that's uh, unreasonable, okay, ask your PI if they will pay you for the extra work that you're going to do to tie things up. Ask them if they'll give you part of their salary or their fellowship or their grant for that work. We'll see, then see how altruistic they are. So you have to take your career into your own hands. You have to make a decision that you're going to put your career first, even if the relationship with your PI or thesis committee or academia as a whole struggles. So if you've passed your comprehensive exams, if you're in the last couple of years of, of your PhD program, I want you to have more confidence in the amount of leverage that you have. It's highly unlikely they will kick you out. They might pressure you to try to feel guilty or to leave. I see that happen all the time. I have PhDs reach out to me on almost a daily basis that this is happening. You have to stand firm in that. Never volunteer to leave. Never volunteer to go work in a, a different lab for another PI and tack on an extra year or two. Never, ever do that. Stand firm. Make them force you or kick you out, et cetera, which they won't because they can't. And I'm not going to get into the legality of it, but I can tell you from my situation, they have far less power than they're making you believe. They're gaslighting you on that too. They're, they're all powerless. It's just this bureaucratic system and they are your mentors. They have an obligation to you. I recommend that you do what I did. Read your graduate student handbook. Find all of the sections where it says your mentor, your PI has to provide a safe environment for you to be trained in has to make sure that you can make progress, has to provide you with progress, has to provide you with meetings, has to help you. They are obligated, especially if your PI, right, is on their own career track, right, doesn't have tenure yet. They're trying to make things happen for themselves. They do not want the conflict either. Instead, they want to isolate you, maybe make you quit. Don't allow that to happen. Say, so you're going to allow me to graduate because I have done everything I'm supposed to do, 
And I'm not going to make it easy for you if you don't. And again, some of you, you know, this might seem very foreign. Your, your PI might be uh, amazing, might be putting your career first, uh, you know, really doing everything they can to mentor you. And there's nothing, nothing better than a mentor like that, but there's nothing worse than a mentor who doesn't want to mentor you. They're really just in it for their own career. Like they get your cheap labor because they're obligated to mentor you. So I want to encourage you, go into the graduate student handbook, read about this, find all the sections. I, I found these sections. I copy and pasted them into emails that I ended up having to send to the dean of the graduate college, my department head, et cetera, because my PI was doing nothing to mentor me. Towards the end, he withdrew his support. And it wasn't until I did that that I was allowed to write my thesis and defend. So if you are past your comprehensive exams, right, or past whatever it is in your country, the, you know, the halfway point of graduate school, you've done the work necessary. You've produced, you've produced new data. That's what a PhD requires. And you'll see that in many of your graduate student handbooks too. You've gone beyond mastering a field to pushing it forward. You produced new data. You have a story. You have a, a thesis, a project that has formed and come to shape. That's your leverage and you've earned it. Now let's get a bit more practical. So what do you what do you do when it comes to your job search during this time? You have to execute a job search. Even if everything is going smoothly for you, you have to execute a job search. The the most time intensive part of your job search is building up an industry network and industry credibility. You have to turn away from an academic mindset and the academic social norms and turn towards an industry mindset, your industry social norms. This is important. Okay, you have to start speaking the language of industry, getting around people who are talking the language of industry, who have business acumen or are developing their business acumen. Because if you violate these industry social norms, it's going to be very hard for you to make connections on LinkedIn or otherwise. It's going to be very, very hard for you to pass an interview. So the networking piece, get organized, number one, you likely have how many hundreds of spreadsheets, hundreds of pages in a lab notebook, virtual lab notebook whatever related to you, to your data, your work, your, you know, the information related to your thesis project. Can you get one spreadsheet to organize your job search and just get a list of the companies you're interested in working with the job opportunities there, people at that company, people that are, you know, that are in those gatekeeper roles, recruiters, talent acquisition specialists, hiring managers or, you know, people in director roles, and then people that are in the roles you want to get into, those, those, those proximal uh, or proximal roles, right? That are, they're in lateral positions to the ones you want to get into. You want to be a R&D professional, so find other people in the R&D department, especially those with a PhD that are in that, that PhD level, right? That are maybe a senior scientist or similar for whatever position you're interested in. And then start reaching out to them. If you do this early enough, you'll be far more effective at it because there'll be no sense of desperation. You won't need anything right away. So you'll be approaching people as an end in themselves rather than as a means to an end. And you can approach them just out of curiosity as the eager student without pretending to be something you're not. You can connect with them, tell them congratulations on their success at whatever company they're currently at. 
and whatever position they got into most recently. And then you can tell them that you have a PhD in a background XYZ. You're, you know, ABC timeline away from graduating and you're just exploring career opportunities. And you are curious to know what they love about their job the most. Just like that, one message, you can slide right into an informational interview. Especially when you make a positive, what, what are you excited about in your role right now? I didn't just come up with that on the fly. It works. It's most likely to get people talking, especially beginning, because you're starting really at the top in, in terms of professional intimacy. They reply, then you have to go deeper. And you say, fascinating. So what, what are the challenges with that? So they tell you what they love about it or what they're excited about, what they enjoy about their job. What are the challenges? This is how you keep their interest by going to deeper levels of professional intimacy. And then you ask them how they got into that job. And if you do this early enough, you don't have to do, you don't have to re reply right away. You can stretch this out over the course of weeks or even months. You can have that initial conversation and then you follow up maybe every month. Let's say you're two years away from graduating. Great. Keep all of your contact information, including the last time you reached out and the next time you plan to, in a spreadsheet. Sync it with your calendar. Can you even do that? It'll take you 20 minutes to set all of this up. Think of the intense amount of work you do for your research, and you do almost nothing. Many of you, nothing at all for your job search. And this is why the statistics in terms of PhDs who end up unemployed at graduation are so abysmal. If you've seen our documentary, just Google Cheeky Scientist documentary or go to cheekyscientist.com slash documentary. If you haven't, we talk about this data. Most people don't even believe this data until they see it themselves from the National Science Foundation. It's been published. It's been published in the Harvard Business Review, The Atlantic, The Economist. Upwards of 60% of all PhDs end up unemployed at graduation. 80% of life science PhDs do. That's what's facing you. Why? Because you don't do any of this work building up your industry network. Imagine if you built these relationships and people were somewhat familiar with you, and then you got to be a few months away from graduating, how easy it would be to tap into that network and ask if there's any jobs that are opening up in the next few months so that you can align your graduation with job openings from your extensive network that you've built up over the last couple of years. This is what an intelligent strategist does, not a hurried PhD that's just winging right their job search and waiting until they're desperate at the last minute, begging people to give them free information and free help. People, people can see the difference between the two. Companies will wait for you. So, Returning to my story, things got very bad before they got better. My PI continued to isolate me, continued to turn the lab against me. And I, I saw him do this before to several people before me. He pushed out another PhD student. He pushed out a postdoc. They all had these big rifts, these fights. I mean, it was like um, a game to him. He was, he was powerless in every other way, but he could have power right over his little kingdom of uh, two or three people because it was a very small lab. And uh, he, would, he would lock me out of the lab so I'd have to like ask to get in. Just little things to you know, make me feel 
less than little things to make me feel like an outsider again, to isolate me would stop meeting with me would uh, meet with everybody else, but not me. Uh, got to the point where I stopped working in the lab. I was told I could finish my thesis. Don't worry. You know, don't worry about coming back to the lab. You know, no, no lab party, no get together with everybody else in the lab. I defended my thesis. Uh, my thesis committee, right? Very nice. Many of them still stay in contact with me, but nothing from my PI afterwards. And, uh, you know, again, no kind of congratulatory get together, et cetera. And, and that's what I had to go through. And that's one of the reasons really that I started Cheeky Scientist, because I didn't want PhD students like you or postdocs or any PhD to feel isolated and to think that, you know, they did something wrong to, to be, to have that, uh, you know, that academic gaslighting, make them feel like they were less than, or, or they were stupid, or they did something wrong. You are not doing anything wrong. You are highly intelligent. You're driven. You want clarity, but this clarity is being withheld from you. For many of you, you don't know what you need to do to graduate. Can you imagine if PhDs all around the world were told, okay, here are the steps you need to do to graduate. Instead, they try to make it seem like, oh, well, if, you're, if you were smart enough, you'd be able to you know, come up with a discovery that's good enough, and then you could graduate. So all PhD students, right? no matter how many mental health problems or whatever else happens, this just keeps continuing on and on and on just because of the gaslighting. In many cases, they're, they're literally driving PhD students crazy because they won't simply set up some sort of structure process for graduating them. And the reason they won't do that is because the PhDs, right? These driven, intelligent people would just hit every checkbox they had to hit and then graduate. And then they would lose all their cheap labor. It's awful. I mean, it's really disgusting. And so I want you to know that you're not doing anything wrong. That's what's happening. You're not giving clear milestones or targets to hit because you would run right through those targets. So instead they want you to, you know, to come up with a discovery. And we all know this. You can't, you can't force a discovery. You can't force a positive result. They wonder why, right? Manipulated data keeps skyrocketing. Why many of these PIs and professors have all of these issues. Why there's a reproducibility crisis. Because they won't just give clear milestones. Right? Demonstrate you're able to execute these experiments. Demonstrate that you're able to think in a certain way, push a field forward with positive or negative data, and then graduate. You're, you're a student. It's ridiculous. So during this time, you know, I did have to push back. I did have to, you know, see what my rights were as a graduate student. And you should see what your rights were too. You should take personal responsibility, right? You need to work hard during this time. You need to push yourself. You need to do work in the lab, gather data, et cetera, or in your classroom. You have the TA, you have to show up. All of these things, of course, but you also have rights and you should learn what those are. And you should be working in your job search. You should be connecting. You should be restructuring your CV into a two-page resume. You should be uploading your resume. You should be going after job opportunities in full. Do not let the excuse of, oh, well, I don't know what my timeline is to graduate stop you because if you get a job, now you have more leverage. Now the university will have to say, no, you can't take this job. That puts them in a very precarious position. Not only do the handbooks say that they have to mentor you properly and provide you a path for success and guide you 
right? Not only would they have to turn against that, they'd also have to add proof that they've turned against that very hard proof by telling you, no, you can't take this job. So I was committed. I was like, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to tell my thesis committee and my department, I have a job lined up. I have published a first author, author paper or I've collected this data. Again, you don't need to have a first author or any paper to graduate. That's something else that they try to do hand-waving around. They try to make you feel like, oh, well, you're not good enough if you don't have a first author paper. Are you kidding? There's postdocs without a first author, author paper. You don't have to have a first author paper. You don't have to have any paper because you can't control that. Your PI or somebody else will make it feel like it's your fault. It's their decision whether or not to submit data. What, what are they doing? They're writing all day. Tell them to get in the lab and do some work themselves. I really admire PIs that do that. Get in the field, do some research yourself. You're in control of submitting that grant. I'm not. You're not as a PhD student. You're in control of submitting that paper, right? Not you as a PhD student. So they need to take some ownership of that. They need to explain themselves. Get a job lined up. Because if you have a job, you've gotten past really that halfway point, your comprehensive exam or whatever the corollary is for you. You've pushed the field forward in some way, negative or positive data. Right, you, you've, you've, your project has taken shape. That's the evidence that you need. And then make them say, preferably where there's a record, make them say by email, no, you can't graduate yet when you have all of that. Very unlikely that will happen, but you have to face the conflict. And so again, for some of you, there may not be any conflict, but these are still things that you should do. Get that job lined up. Many companies will wait months for you. I had a company wait for me almost a year. Almost a year. It was about, about eight months. And another gray area in academia, in most academic institutions, is what you're allowed to do, right? Just start acting like you're working for that company already. You need to prioritize your industry career more and more. If they hire you, do whatever you can to keep that company interested, to keep that company waiting for you. You certainly can make them wait a few months. Now, there's some situations where it might be a very big company, it's very structured, and they can't wait past a certain number of weeks. It might be uh, uh, just a particular situation where a company needs to, you know, somebody on board to, you know, they needed somebody hired yesterday, right? So that may not work out. But don't let this keep you from applying. Apply, get the job. Make them fall in love with you and fight for you and to give you a job offer. And then you can negotiate the timeline. Once you have a job offer in hand, you can negotiate the timeline. It's all just a negotiation. It's just one more part of the compensation package. I've worked with many PhDs that have had to wait several months before they started. You can too. So don't let any of this hold you back. If you have a PhD, fight for your career. Right? If you're a PhD student, fight for your career, get your PhD, be very active in your job search, do whatever you can to get a date set for your defense. Once you know what that date is, it's often several months in advance, you need to work just as hard on your job search as you are on your thesis. It's something that has to be done side by side. Do not prioritize your thesis over your job search. Let's get even more practical. What I recommend you do is you write for three to five hours 
in the morning. Right? That's what you do to focus on your thesis. And then after that, you take a break for two hours. And then you spend three to four hours on your job search. If you're within like the three months before your defense, that's what you do. Do not be one of these PhD students that thinks, oh, I got to write my thesis for a year. No, you don't. I've seen people write their thesis in two weeks. If you did nothing but write for two weeks, you can get your thesis done. It's all about the information you've collected previously, the data you've collected previously. Write your thesis and execute your job search side by side. Do nothing but those two things, and you will have multiple job offers waiting for you after you defend. You'll have a job lined up so when you defend, you can start that job, maybe even with a, a week or two off. It's all in your hands. All right, I hope this was useful for you. I hope that you have hope. If you're a PhD student and you find yourself in a difficult situation, keep moving forward. Don't let anybody else make you feel small or isolate you, make you feel like you don't have rights, make you feel like you did anything wrong, like you're not intelligent or driven. You are highly valued in industry. You are highly valuable innately. Your PhD is highly valuable, and I want you to remember it. All right, so thanks for listening. Do me a favor. Go to CheekyScientist.com, especially if you're listening to this podcast right after it came out. And at the top, there's a banner for the mid-year mega markdown, 75% off. This is the lowest price we've offered in two years for the Cheeky Scientist Association. But all of our advanced programs are 75% off as well tied for the lowest price that we've ever offered these advanced programs for. And we have a couple of new ones, including some very popular ones. We have the Data Scientist Syndicate, the Medical Science Liaison Alliance, the new Product Management Group, and many others. The R&D Society, third edition. I just, that took months of work to get the third edition out. It's incredible. All the new current industry trends in R&D are included. I recommend you check this out. Thank you for listening. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. I'm Isaiah Henkel, the founder of Cheeky Scientist and the creator of the Cheeky Scientist Association. I wanted to quickly tell you that memberships into the association are available to PhDs listening to Cheeky Scientist Radio by using the coupon code Cheeky Radio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com, P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll down to the orange membership button and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. That's Cheeky Radio, C-H-E-E-K-Y-R-A-D-I-O. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Are you worried about the rapidly shrinking job market? Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing employees, cutting postdocs and TAs, and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself, but likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. 
perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number one PhD-only job search training platform with multiple courses and the PhD-only job referral network of over 10,000-plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for 20% off of the association. Just use the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll to the orange membership button, and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees, no recurring annual fees. Nobody else offers this. PhDsGetHired.com. Use the coupon code CheekyRadio. Remember your value as a PhD, and remember that knowledge is power, and your network is your net worth. Oh,